0: And tonight we're going to talk about the goodness of God. And so starting out with a a quote from uh, him that I grew up singing, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Um, I think it's written by Henry Van Dyke. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed, wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth of happy rest. Uh, When we talk about the goodness of God, what we mean is that he he disperses goodness. He just, he just gives out goodness. And, and it doesn't um, phase him at all. Uh, I, I think many times we, as humans, have a certain amount of goodness, right? And uh, once we run out um, at, you know, 3 p.m., um, then after that, we don't have as much goodness anymore. We have a certain amount of goodwill. We have a certain amount of good feelings to give to others. But once that's tapped out, man, we're, we're done. But what's great about God is that, is that the whole world really could rest on his goodness all at once, and it wouldn't phase him at all. He's ever-giving. He's ever-blessing, but he's also ever-blessed. He's, he's, he's the wellspring of the joy of living, which means there's, 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 there's this deep well inside of him that has uh, an infinite depth. That his goodness just continually comes and comes and comes to us and comes to us. And and so and so we're going to talk tonight about a little bit of his goodness. Really, this is such a huge attribute. It's such a huge quality of God that I think I might do a part one and a part two. But um, I want to talk about the ways that we see the goodness of God. First off, we... We see the goodness of God uh, in the book of Genesis, and I don't have the scripture up on the screen because it's a common story that we all know so well, the very first encounter with Satan, the very first temptation of Adam and Eve when they meet the snake in the garden, the very first thing really that Satan um, attacks, the first quality of God, the attribute of God that Satan denies is the goodness of God. For instance, he talks to Eve and he says, you know, has God really said that you can't eat of of every tree? And so she enters into a dialogue with him. And I've talked to, I preached about that uh, a couple months ago about how she never should have entered into that dialogue because Satan started off the dialogue in such a way that he was leading her along his train of thought. And so by the time he actually inserted the lie, she was already like she was, she was a fish. She was already on the hook and he was just reeling her in. And so the, 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 the final lie came when, when, he, when she said, well, God said we can't eat of this tree because if we do, then we will die. And Satan says, you won't die. I mean, that's the first time that Satan directly contradicts God. It's the first time that he just flat out says God is lying to you. Like, just clear-cut, straight as day. And you would think that Eve would be sort of suspicious of this, but she had already bought into the first couple of lies. She already had started going down this train of thought. So that when Satan said, you won't die, uh, there there, there wasn't an immediate reaction by her. Instead, I, I imagine she had this thought that Satan quickly answered without her even asking. Satan said, because the reason why God's lying to you The reason why you're not going to die, even though he said that you would, is because God's not good. Essentially, that's what he said. He said, because basically, look, Eve, this is it. God knows that if you eat of this tree, then you will be like him, and he's trying to keep you from being all that you can be, right? He's trying to hold you back. He's trying to, 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 to keep you down and keep you in your place so that he can be God and you can be down here and And he knows if you eat of it, then you will be up there with him. And so Satan starts off with this direct contradiction that that God said you would die. But no, actually, you won't die. And here's the reason why. Because really, God's not really good. He's not really looking out for your best interest. He's looking out for his own. And that's the first character quality. That's the first attribute that Satan attacks. And I think that when it comes to mankind, that is probably the greatest quality that we have the biggest um, uh, uh, inclination to believe, but also the the one that we strive against the most. Uh, almost every religion on the planet believes that their god, their deity, is in some way good. Um, they often differ according to the amount of good that that particular god is, or the amount of gods which are good and some which are evil. But but almost everyone would 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 like to believe that whoever is the big guy upstairs, whoever is kind of in charge, that he is generally um, favorable that he is generally good, because as soon as you start to doubt that, your entire world starts flipping around and, and and gets crazy. If God's not good, then 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 nothing else exists. Like if God's not good, then then heaven is not going to be a place that you're going to want to hang out in. Uh, if God's not good, then hell is obviously not a place you want to hang out in. If God's not good, then following him is not going to be. Good for you, but also rejecting him is not going to be good. If 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 the goodness of God breaks down, then suddenly your entire existence is in jeopardy. If God, who holds your very breath in His hand, is not good, then we all have great reason to live in fear every moment of every day. Uh, but the truth is that that uh, all of us as humans we have a deep seated understanding that God is good, and this comes um, this comes from. Uh, uh, God himself. He's put that inside of us. The goodness of God is there and and the enemy is there lying. The the enemy says, you will not surely die. It's kind of interesting how how Satan brings good news um, to Eve, which is, hey, you can eat whatever you want and not die. But he brings it in the form of really, 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 really bad news that God's lying to you, (laughs) that God's not good. So so we've got some good news and we've got some bad news. The good news is you can do whatever you want. The bad news is the one who holds your breath in his hands is not really good. Um, and this is the existence, actually, that Satan himself, this is the reality that Satan himself lives with. He lives with this, 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 this strife between uh, the, the, his own pride and, and acknowledging the goodness of God. And he constantly denies the goodness, and he would love nothing, nothing more than for us to deny the goodness of God, and to take things into our own hands, and to and to essentially um, try to be little gods. This is what he's he, he's offering them. But Scripture says Romans eight that the wages of sin is death. Um, and so, even though Satan said you shall not die, the wages of sin is not death. The truth is, the wages of sin is death. And uh, Emilio and I have been talking about that. And the wages of sin is always death. It's always uh, it doesn't matter how secret your sin is. Uh, someone's going to hack into the Ashley Madison website and uh, everybody's going to see it. I don't know if you guys know about Ashley Madison, but there's a big thing a couple weeks ago. Ashley Madison is an adultery website. If you want to um, cheat on your spouse, you you, you create an account uh, with this website and then that's kind of how you go about it. Somebody hacked into the website a couple weeks ago and they started posting. They just posted all the names all the people that had accounts there. And um, And it's really, and it's really, it's interesting. The CEO stepped down last week of Ashley Madison, which is weird because I thought he was okay with this sort of thing, but apparently he had an account, and uh, he always said that, (laughs) he always said that he never had an account, which I always thought was strange, you know. I was like, why are you creating this adultery website, but you're happily married, you're not going to do that. So uh, your sin will find you out. The wages of sin is death. And, for, and this is true for you know the CEO of Ashley Madison. It's also true for Christians. Uh, Ed Stetzer, um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a pretty well-known um, Christian leader. Uh, he said he had pastors contacting him. They were concerned about the Ashley Madison thing because um, they were on the site. Uh, he predicted this past Sunday, three days ago, that about 400 pastors and church leaders would step down from their congregations because their names were on the Ashley Madison type and it's and it's and some very well-known ministers actually have come forward and stepped and step down from their ministries because they thought they thought the wages of sin wasn't death they thought it wasn't going to be the death of their ministry or the death of their marriage or the death of of their kids honor of them you know i mean all the things that die with sin you can't you can't calculate it you can't you think you know the cost. When you step into it, you think you understand what you're playing with, but you really don't. The wages of sin is death, and it just always is. And, um, and actually, in Romans chapter 8, that's why it says that we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh. What that means is since the wages of sin is death, either you're going to die or it is going to die. And so you've got to come to a point where you kill sin in your life, where you kill the deeds of the flesh, because something's got to die, and so the wages of sin is death. And so I encourage each and every one of you: uh, confess now while it's a secret. Um, whatever is going on in your life, if if you whatever, I mean, just 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 find an open place. That's why that's why small groups are so important. So many pastors and leaders get in so much trouble because they feel they don't have anybody to talk to, because they don't surround themselves with people that they can trust. And um, they feel like they're going to get fired if they share anything. And they don't have any safe place. And so many people don't have a safe place. And that's why we want Safe Places, which is a small group for you guys to be a part of, where you can experience the goodness of God. Because the goodness of God is not experienced in, 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 in a place where you're expected to be perfect all the time. The goodness of God is experienced when you're able to share what's going on in your life, what your temptations are, and somebody can help you before, before it's the website's hacked and it's all over the internet um so anyway uh, that's a pretty deep dark subject but but it's real life i mean that's what that's what's in my facebook feed all the time that's what and that's what i'm feeling i'm like my heart breaks that that's the reality of the church but i just hope those 400 people can get restoration can get healing can get connected with the family that is going to uh help them um the goodness of god is 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 attacked by the enemy it's it's it's, it's constantly denied. It's constantly denied in, in his temptation to sin, but it's also constantly denied uh, uh, just, just throughout our own culture. And so for me, the best place to look is in Scripture. So I have several Scriptures here for you to look at um, where we see the goodness of God. Psalm 52.1 uh, says the goodness of God endures continually. 1 Chronicles 16.34, O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 33.5, The earth Is full of the goodness of the Lord. The earth is full of his goodness. Exodus 33, 18. This is um, Moses talking to God, and he says, Show me your glory. It's a famous passage. And so, this is what God's response to him. He said, Okay, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. So, when God was asked to show his greatest attribute, the biggest, most gloryful part of him, he says, Okay, I'm going to make my goodness to pass before you Psalm 865 says for you Lord are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you yes. Psalm 1459 says the Lord is good to everyone and his tender mercies are over all of his works we see we see his goodness over all of his works Psalm 145 15 and 16 says the eyes of of all, this is the eyes of not not just humans, but this is the eyes of every living thing. Look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. We see the goodness of God in Scripture. We see it attacked by the enemy, but we also see it around us in nature. We see the goodness of God in nature. Um, uh, as much as I love nature, this is how how much I see. <laughs> <laughs> but I have noticed, it's funny, we, ha- we, we just got a foal just a little while ago, and the foal is just always happy. I, I've, I-, I don't know if I've ever seen like a depressed foal, um, you know, <laughs> for the city folks, foal is... A- baby horse basically um so you know it's like this little thing that just jumps around and just like is constantly like gnawing on its mom and and trying to play games I and mean, he just wants to play like all the time and as you see out there in the field just jumping around you know and it's just happy and so why in the world is the full happy i mean it's you know it's like 100 degrees outside it has to be outside the whole time, and then it it keeps getting scratches and cuts because it just runs into stuff, you know, and and I'm like, man, it's a rough existence, but the the foal doesn't think it's a, a rough existence. The foal just loves life, and I'm like, why does the foal love life? Because God programmed foals and animals to simply enjoy life. I mean, puppies enjoy life. They enjoy tearing up junk in your house. (laughs) And, you know, they eat shoes because they enjoy it. Like, they're not, like, I've never really met, like, a depressed puppy. It's like they're always just, just enjoying life. And it's like, why in the world do they enjoy life? Because God infused joy into every single creature, every single animal. They go about... They're they're what I would consider pretty menial existence, pretty tough existence. I wouldn't want to be you know an animal. I'm happy I'm a human, uh, but 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 these animals love being animals. These animals just enjoy their animalhood. They they, they 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 take so much pleasure. And even the most simplest things in life are infused with joy. Uh, for instance, God gives us sight, and, and 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 he could give us sight and just make everything black and white, but instead like there's like brilliant colors everywhere, and then there. Are, Shades of colors. I mean, I there's so many different shades. Why isn't there just like block colors? And this everything is one of these five different colors. But no, like there's 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 this infinite myriad of of of, of rainbowish colors that just that splash across our eyes every single day. And if you don't think that's amazing, try like talking to a blind person and try describing what they cannot see. And you understand how much you are actually taking in. Just when you drive home from work and you see the sunset. I mean, just when, like, like stuff like, like beauty. Like God didn't have to make anything beautiful. I don't know that other animals necessarily recognize beauty very much, but but I know humans do. We 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 see we have an aesthetic sense about us, and so uh, we love like you know beautiful colors in in a house and, and 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 decoration and clothes and 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 all of these things are gifts from God. These are all supposed to be pointing us to a God who is good that he would infuse our I mean this is like whether you're a sinner or a saint you could be Adolf Hitler and you still get to enjoy a sunset. I mean Joseph Stalin still got to see beauty in front of him. He he God indiscriminately just lavishes his creatures and his creation with with goodness, and it's not because of our own goodness. It's not because we are good. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. So you know, it's, you're you're just. That's great. Rain comes. You're unjust. That's fine. Rain comes. God just, he just pours out goodness indiscriminately, but not based on who you are, what you've done, or what you think, or even if you don't. I mean, even atheists who don't even believe in a god. They still receive his goodness every single day. You have you have sight. You have sound. I mean, you can hear music, and, and, it, and it stirs up emotions inside of you. It stirs up memories inside of you. It stirs up good times and bad times. And, and you have this whole experience that's just just coming through your ears. Uh, I mean, touch. I mean, the very sensation of touch, the, the sensation of somebody else putting their arm around your shoulder, or giving you a hug, or, or touching your face, or... Um, I don't know how many kids we have in here, but you know, uh, stuff married people do is also enjoyable. Come on, somebody. And God didn't have to do that. You know, like He could have made us like chickens where, you know, it's just eggs just come out and that's just how it works. But instead, God, like, made it incredibly enjoyable. Like, this is all. T Bear's about to run a lap. It's good. I mean, it's really good. And, 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 and you can, once again, atheists get to enjoy this. You know, everybody enjoys this. God doesn't withhold it and say, well, you have to believe in me in order to experience this This, this kind of joy. And so everybody Partakes in this, and God just blesses every single every single person on the planet with this—the the, the sense of fulfillment. God gives us a sense of fulfillment when you work hard all day and you come home and you've accomplished something. That sense of fulfillment—that's His goodness that allows you to feel that. I mean, you could literally just live your whole life always feeling like you haven't accomplished anything, but uh, sometimes you just get to take a breath and you just realize, man, I just did something that is accomplishment. I'm proud of my work. That's the goodness of God. It's amazing the way that God designed our bodies. I mean, like, as soon as, uh, you know, a, a healthy body that is overly hot will start to sweat. And the really cool thing about sweat is that as soon as you start to sweat, your body picks up the breeze more. So God has a breeze, like, blowing across the earth. But whenever you need it the most, that's when you feel it the most. And it's totally designed by God. Like He 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 conditioned you to be able to feel the breeze when you sweat, and not necessarily when you don't sweat as much. So it's 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 like it's like it's like His His Holy Spirit just blows across the earth and refreshes every single person that's sweating, whether you're in you know Africa or Texas in the middle of summer. You you get refreshed by the breeze. And God didn't have to do that. He didn't have to have breeze and wind and, and all that kind of. It could just be. You know, it could just be humid. It could just be dry. It could just be one particular uh, temperature all year round. But instead, He gives us seasons, which is which is variety, which helps you know, make it through Texas in the summer, <laughs> which makes you say, "All right, Lord, all right, I'll stay in Texas. I'll keep planting the church." Um, <laughs> you know. Cause there's always the temptation to go to San Diego, where it's like 75 all year round, you know. But, but He gives us seasons, so it's like, okay, you survived, you know, July and August. Now I'm gonna bless you with a little bit of September and October. It's gonna be great. And, and but these are all seasons and variety and leaves fall off of trees and leaves regrow on trees. And, and why? Like, why does that happen? It doesn't have to happen that way. But everything that God has designed has a has a reason, and it's out of goodness. All the joy that comes with each and every season, all the, the celebration, of family—I mean, the family unit. God didn't have to create that, but He, but He did, and that and and that can bring so much joy when you look down at at, at your kids and you see you see you in them. You know, it's like wow, it's like a mini me. That is one awesome kid. You know, wow. You know, it's like that didn't have to happen that way. But the kids didn't have to be cute and funny and all that kind of thing, like all like all the stuff that we enjoy about life, everything you're taking pictures about and putting on Facebook, all of that stuff those that's part of the goodness of God dispersed throughout the world throughout life, that life is good, that life is enjoyable, that life is exciting and thrilling and and it makes your heart beat faster sometimes, and butterflies in your stomach, and all of that is the goodness of God that God gives rain on the earth. Even just really random things, like when I was um, uh, I was watching a, a thing on YouTube a uh, long while back. It was a Harvard psychology class, and I just just for fun, I just I, I like psychology, so so I was doing this Harvard thing online, and um and uh, they were talking about how social psycho- social psychologists can't really figure out why we laugh, like why you make that stupid sound, <laughs> and it's different for everybody, like some people it's like a snorting kind of thing, and other people it's like a, a high-pitched sort of, I don't know what that is, um, and other people it's a deep guttural kind of, you know, it's <laughs> a cackling right there from Evie. for me. for me, it's a bit of a cackle, you know, it's like it's different, like everybody makes just like different Laughter sounds. Why do we do that? Evolutionary psychologists have no reason why why that would help us in our survival, why that would evolve. Uh, you know, like why we would just naturally start making a sound whenever we think something's funny or humorous or 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 we're very joyful or we're very nervous sometimes, you know? Like why in the world would we start making this weird, odd sound? It doesn't make any sense except for the fact that we serve a good God who just, who just knows that it's just like when you start hearing somebody laugh, like it makes you want to laugh. Like you can just watch a baby, like a video of a baby on YouTube laughing and you just kind of start laughing yourself. It's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's just, it's, just, it's, it's, it's contagious. And so, well, why would God make joy contagious? Because he's good. Because he's good, because he wants you to be joyful, because he wants you to smile, because he wants you to laugh. And these are all things that he made so easy for you and so easy for us. Um, and, and, and evolutionary psychologists can't figure it out, but I believe that it comes from a God who, who designed, intelligently designed our universe. God's goodness um, is our source of faith. Um, God's goodness is our source of faith. Uh, our 21 days of prayer... We weren't praying because we believe that when we pray um, that we are capable of doing anything. That's not why we gathered to pray. Uh, we, we, we we don't we don't believe that when we speak stuff into the air, that our words independently have some kind of power that's going to rearrange things and you know we, we don't really I mean our words are just words and they just kind of fall to the ground. They just come out and then and then it disappears. But but we, we pray because we have faith in the goodness of God. Because we believe that God has good plans for us, that God has a good desire for us, that God desires for every single person on this planet to receive him, to know him, to walk with him, and to be saved by him. That God wants everybody in heaven with him, enjoying life. And we believe that heaven is good. All these things we receive by faith in a good God. When we pray, we we are crying out to a God who is good. We're not we're not asking some evil God to do something good. We're asking a good God to do what he's promised to do. And that's the source of our faith, of, of our prayers. It's, it's also the source of our hope. You know, When we look ahead to life and when we face hard times and difficult times, we have to rely on the goodness of God. Sometimes when I'm counseling people, I really don't know what to say except God is good. Like, I'm not sure how this is all going to work out. I don't know that everything is going to be great. But I do know the Bible says that God works together all things for the good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. And that's really not because we are good. That's not because we have done something to deserve it. That's because he is good. And he's continually good. And he's faithfully good. And his goodness is not based on your goodness. His goodness is not based on your track record. His goodness is not based on your faith. His goodness is based in himself. He is just simply good. And his goodness is not affected by your track record. It's not affected by your faith. His goodness is just as good as it's ever been, and it won't get any gooder because he can't get any gooder. He's just as good as he is. And he is the reason for our hope. He is the reason that we can, that we can look uh, people in the eye who are dealing with so much confusion, so much stuff, so many addictions, so many hangups. And they've been abused from the time they were born until their like, adulthood. And we can look at them and we can say there's hope for you because God is good. I have no idea how else things are going to work out for you, but I do know that God is good and this is how I can that's I, I, how I can lead a church. It's how I can lead people who who are who, who are uh, you know leaving a lot of things and quitting jobs this is how I can start a church and and quit my job and do everything that God's called me to do because I believe ultimately that God is good I believe in his goodness I remind myself of his goodness and and ultimately and finally the goodness of God is our is our basis for love um, so let's look at John 8. Um, this is a scripture that's just been coming to my mind uh, really for the last week week and a half um, and this is always a scripture I've never I've never preached from so I've always been a little nervous to preach from it and honestly this I still don't feel like I, I totally have it so I'm still just touching my toe into it um, but John chapter 8 verse two says that early in the morning <clears throat> Jesus came again to the temple and all the all the people came to him. Now the context of this this is after, um, the Feast of Tabernacles Where he stood up in front of everybody And, and he, said, I, um, he said he said Anyone who's thirsty come to me And I am the source of, of living water And so anybody who's thirsty come to me And this was a very uh, bold statement That he made Also if you read um, uh, John chapter 7 You'll see that the Pharisees And the religious leaders were trying to kill Jesus And so it's a very dangerous time for him In fact he said that he didn't even want to go to the feast Because he was concerned that they were going to To kill him Um, different people wanted him to go, but he he said that he didn't want to go, and then then he ended up going, so I guess his father must have told him to go. Uh, And so Jesus is there. He's at the feast, and he begins teaching. And uh, this is the next day. This is after his major proclamation where he interrupted the big feast. He goes back to the temple and begins teaching. Now all the people are coming to him. He sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. When they had set her in the midst of them, uh, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? In verse 6, the Holy Spirit tells us why they're doing this. It says that they said this in order to test him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. (laughs) Once again, this story just boggles my mind. I mean, how often does Jesus just not answer a question? How often does he just ignore people? Um, Not very often. How often does he write in the ground? We have no other record of him drawing in the dirt um, except for in this passage. And so so many people stop and they say, what was he writing in the ground? And um, the Bible doesn't tell us what he's writing in the ground. He was writing something in the ground. He's down on his knees. Verse seven says that they continued asking him, they, and, and and so he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And then he stooped down and wrote on the ground again. Verse nine, then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the middle of them. And when Jesus had raised himself up, he saw no one there, but the woman, he said to to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Uh, she said, no one, Lord. And he said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then in verse 12, which I, I I didn't have up there, verse 12, he he looks to the people and he says, I am the light of the world. Anybody who comes to me, anybody who follows me will walk in light and have the light of life. And it's so interesting. me. This passage has always, I think, been often misunderstood. And I've heard um, TV, repo- re- re- TV reporters like quote it. I don't even think they read anything else in the Bible, but they heard that one statement. You know, that he who is without sin throw the first stone. And and it's been used, unfortunately, to be a bit of a, of, a, of a license to anybody who does anything. That's just that's just what they do. And and everybody just mind your own business and don't 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 point anything out right don't 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 say anything about anybody and i i don't think that's what jesus is doing here at all in fact this is actually a trick this is an attempt to trap jesus it tells us these religious leaders bring this woman it's interesting to me that they brought the woman and not the man who was caught in adultery (laughs) because it takes two to tango um that they only brought one, which that's, that's odd to me. I, the, 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 the actual Mosaic law stated that both the male and the female were to be executed. Um, that's the Mosaic law. And so the fact that they only brought one tells me that something's a little bit fishy. Something's a little bit off. It's a little bit strange. Um, and the fact that they, that they bring her into the, the temple courts. Remember, Jesus is teaching in the temple. In fact, later on it says he was teaching in the treasury. Uh, which is the outer court of the temple it's the outside where they used to have 13 um, like jugs where people would go and drop their money in and they had the different 13 jugs were assigned uh, for, for, for different reasons there were four of them that were for offering and there were the nine of them that were for different types of tithes and so Jesus is there he's in the treasury it was also called the woman's court so uh, it's the one court of the temple that women were allowed to go into just on a regular basis so that's where Jesus is teaching he's he's obviously trying to teach women and men and he He's there, and then they bring this this they, they bring this woman to him, and, and 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 she's caught in adultery apparently, but the other guy is not around, so something's a little bit fishy. And then they 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 try to engage Jesus: should should she be stoned or not? And obviously, people are ready; uh, they got stones in hand; they're ready to uh, execute this person. Now, what, what's interesting to me is that Jesus probably would have witnessed this several times in his life. This was not. You know, this was not a weird, random, odd thing to have happen that somebody should be stoned uh, to death with, with with rocks. This was a, a common practice that, that the Mosaic Law demanded, that God had demanded in the Old Testament. There are several reasons for which you could be Executed in this way, and so it seems strange to me that Jesus would never have witnessed this before. Several times he must have walked by or been in in among a crowd where there was stonings happening. He 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 you can't you can't be a thirty some year old uh, Jew in that time and not have seen this or witnessed this or heard about this or been around it. This was not like a rare, odd, strange thing. And so, but why this time? Why does Jesus step in? Obviously, he acts like he doesn't want to. He acts like you guys just go do whatever you're going to do. Because he's ignoring them. And so, they're ready to stone her. He doesn't jump up and say, hey, stop, stop, stop. Don't, don't, don't do not don't that. Instead, he, he, he gets down and he he's, he's acting as if he's not even hearing them. He's ignoring them. And they finally keep bugging him. Jesus, what do you, you, know, what do you, think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And so, finally, he stands up. And he looks at them, and this is, this is to me the goodness of God. I think this is really the goodness of God. He speaks not to her. He speaks to them. Now, the guys that you and all, the, 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 the us here, the guys that we would have no sympathy for are the guys with rocks in their hands. Right? Like, those guys, those guys are bad guys. We have a lot of sympathy for this poor lady caught in adultery. But those mean guys with rocks in their hands. But those are the very ones that Jesus talks to. And he speaks to those people. And he says, whoever is without sin, whoever has no sin in their life, let him, let him throw the first stone. And the Bible says that they were convicted. That's the Holy Spirit that does that, by the way. Whenever you feel something in your spirit that says, hmm, I am in the wrong That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. And the purpose of conviction is not condemnation. Notice, they weren't condemned. Jesus didn't condemn them. He convicted them. Conviction is different. Condemnation is basically what the enemy brings into our lives, where he he says, you are a failure, you are a loser, you're evil, and you're never going to be anything different. Conviction always gives you a chance to move forward. So Jesus is reaching out to this mob of people with stones in their hands. And he's giving them a chance to say, yeah, you know what? We're wrong about this. We, we, need to, we need to follow you. What's he doing? He's shedding light on their life. And this is the goodness of God. Light, this is what he says. He says, I am the light of the world. Whenever light comes into your life, even if you're the one holding the stone in your hand, it's a good thing. Because it's giving you an opportunity to A, put the stone down, and B, follow him. Now, they didn't take that opportunity. They missed it. But this is what Jesus is offering them, even the people with stones in their hand. He's offering them this chance to follow him. He's letting them get a snapshot into their life, and that is the goodness of God. Anytime you get a snapshot into your life, like anytime you have a realization, a moment of clarity, even if it's painful, even if it's heavy, even if you don't want to look at that part of yourself, that is the goodness of God. Because he could have let them just stone her to death. And then they just keep on living in their deceived mindset, believing that they are fully in the right, believing that they, I mean, it's the religious spirit, right? That, that, that I am justified in my actions because other people are not justified in theirs. He could have allowed them just to continue feeling justified, but instead he, he pulled back the curtain of their ignorance and just said, hey, guys, this is what's really going on. And what's interesting is uh, in, in three, 374 A.D., uh, a guy by the name of Saint um, Saint Ambrose, uh, Ambrose, he believed that what Jesus was writing in the sand—I don't know if it's true or not—but uh, this is a long time ago. He was closer to the time of the apostles. He he believed that what he was writing was um, let's see. There's a Latin phrase that, that he had Terra Terraem accusat, which means Earth accuses Earth. <laughs> And and he and, and was, whatever he wrote, whatever he said brought conviction to them. They said, wait a minute, we, we're not in the right. And this is the goodness of God. Whatever situation you encounter that causes you to get a, a, a clear look of yourself in the mirror, whether you like it or not, it might not be an encouraging <laughs> look. It might be a painful look. It might be like, ooh, man, I really need to fix that. This is really... That's still the goodness of God. God's still good even to religious people holding the rocks. And I can say that because I is one. <laughs> I, is, uh, I is a religious people. Um, I got saved when I was six years old, and I got perfect when I was seven. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's tough to be that perfect, you know, living in an imperfect world. Um, that's actually why Google, um, just totally off-subject, Google, Google's trying to make driverless cars, um, and they're finding that these driverless cars are getting into accidents, not because they break the rules, but because they're driving in an environment where other humans are also driving, and so they're getting rear-ended and side-swiped because and, they're actually keeping the rules, and nobody's used to keeping the rules, and so I said, I can identify with the problem of just being too perfect. That's just, you know, that's just, that's just a burden I have to carry. And poor Roe, exactly. She, she has anyway. Um, I I, yeah, it's this is one of the things that I love honestly about City Chapel, what I've seen so far, and I hope we continue. I hope we continue. First of all, uh, not rejecting people caught in adultery. Uh, I hope that that message of love and acceptance continues, because that's what Jesus did right there. But I also hope that we continue speaking. To the religious folks. I hope we continue inviting them into a relationship as well. I hope we continue. I've seen so much just people who've been saved for a long time coming into City Chapel and God's speaking to their heart and they're still growing. That's amazing to me. That's awesome to me that, that God is still beckoning them closer and deeper and higher because there's more than just going to church and paying tithes and and volunteering every now and then. There is an intimate relationship with God that impacts not just not, not, not just what you do, but who you are. And you can you can have the light of life like that's so much different than going to church and so I just I, I get fired up when when folks who are you know kind of religious because I, I I don't say that as a bad way I am kind of religious and so I've been going to church forever been giving I've been tithing since I was little I mean I get all of that I love it I love it it's good but I love it whenever whenever God still shows me a glimpse of myself that I don't like and I say whoa okay I need to change that that to me is goodness because I can get so self righteous and self justified that I don't see it anymore, and so this is what Jesus does for those who are holding the stones. He He says, "You guys, you guys need to change." You're something that this, this, this "Earth is acu- accusing Earth here. Dirt is accusing dirt." You're just dirt. Do you do you, do you do you get this? Your life is just as dirty as hers. It's just different kind of dirty. It's a different kind of dirt. And so he's speaking to them. And they're, they're receiving that. And they they put their stones down from the oldest, it says to the youngest. And then he he turns he turns back to, to his drawing, right? He gets back down on his knees. He gets he gets down, down and down and, and he's writing. And this is what I think is so powerful, which Emilio had, had said in our discussion about this, that this is the position of God. This is the, the stance that God takes. To those who are um, religious and holding rocks, he often stands face to face with them. And he says, you are in the wrong, and you need to change. And he talks to me like that sometimes. He just kind of smacks me upside the head, I don't know. Ro tells me he's meaner with me than he is with her, and... Uh, I said, because I need that, because I don't hear otherwise. I'm just like, um, they don't need them. And, uh, you know, so he just, he, 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 he gets on your eye level. He stands up and he says, look here, you know, put the rock down. You're in the wrong. He deals with you where you're at. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he doesn't, when, when somebody is down on their face in humiliation and brokenness, he doesn't stand anymore. He gets, he gets down on his knees with her. And he's writing. He gets down on her level. This is the position of God's goodness. That if you are a strong religious person, God's going to stand up and he's going to beckon you to come closer. Not just be religious, but be relational with him and and know him. But if you're a broken adulterer, he gets down on your level too. And he gets down where other other people are standing around judging her. He's not judging her. He's on her level. He's... He's her advocate. <laughs> That's the goodness of God that He that he, he He is an advocate of the broken. He's an advocate of the shameful. He's an advocate of the one that other people are judging. He gets down, and now it's not just her being judged. It's her and him. He comes alongside her, and he takes on, almost takes on her reputation. He almost takes on her position and her, the way that they're looking at her, now they're looking at him right there. He's got a perfect reputation, perfect track record. He never committed adultery. He never even thought of it. Never, he's never even in his, his fantasy. He, he, he's holy. He's completely holy, but he, he comes down next to her, associates with her, Basically, if you're going to throw rocks at her, you're going to have to throw rocks at me too. Hmm. This is the position of the goodness of God, and this is our position at City Chapel. This is what we do. People ask, "What's your policy on sin?" <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'll tell you. About my, I'll tell you our position. Our position is on our knees, right with the sinner. We are advocates. We are not adversaries. We don't mind mind being known as the church that has broken people in it. We we don't mind being... Not because we love sin. That's not it. But because God is so good. Like, His goodness is so great that I'm pretty sure His reputation can handle the reputation of an adulterous woman. I'm pretty sure... People aren't going to now all of a sudden think down on God because, oh, somebody sinned. Oh, yeah, now God's in the doghouse. No, no, no. Have you seen a sunset lately? Like, get real. God is so good. His track record is perfect. People understand that. People get it. They get that this person messed up. This person failed. But what blows them away is when a perfect God gets down on their level and says, I'm going to take your reputation and, and I'm going to associate with you. You and me, we are together. If they're going to throw rocks at you, they're going to throw rocks at me because you are with me. I am with you. I am your advocate. I'm s- I am wonder what if what if we just had a church of people that expressed the goodness of God. What if our love came from the goodness of God? What if it came from a place that we weren't afraid? So often we react to people down here on this level out of fear. We react out of fear because what will will people think about us? It's fear. It's fear. Just never mind that. What What if the goodness of God was big enough and good enough to encompass the sins of not just a person, but like a million people or like, Seven billion people on planet Earth. What if his goodness was big enough to take all of that sin and all of that brokenness and change it? Because when, when he gets down with her, when he speaks to her, when he defends her, when he, he's not defending her sin. He's not promoting her sin. In fact, this passage uh, historically has been one that several people uh, have argued that it's not legit. It's not in the original Bible. Uh, they they had a hard time finding it actually in several of the early manuscripts. It was often thought that the earliest manuscript of this passage was only in like the twelfth century. That's like, over a thousand years that it wasn't really in the real Bible. And so people thought that that because because it, it was it was so often not in several of the early manuscripts. And uh, it wasn't until I was think in 1941 they discovered um, some writings and they f- discovered um, Saint Ambrose's writings in, in 374 A.D. Uh, that they found this passage was actually in several of the more or closer to original manuscripts. And they said, well, why has it been erased so much? And I, and I think one of the reasons why a lot of people are really uncomfortable, even today, really uncomfortable with the picture of a God who is an advocate of the sinner. We have a hard time with that. We, we, we're, we're okay with goodness on some levels and, and joy and creation, all that kind of thing, but man... We as sinners ourselves, we feel often timid to come to him knowing that we have spent our entire life working against him, that he is so good, that he is so righteous, and we have spent our entire lives, we've spent our money and our time and our energies really trying to subvert his authority in our lives. And so we wonder, what is this king going to think of me? What is this God going to do to me? What, how is he going to see me? We feel that. And then when we read this passage, we're like, well, that's not how God works. That's not how it happens. It's not how he sees me. I, he can't possibly think that way or see that way because of all that he's done for me and then what I've done to him, these things don't add up. And so we have a hard time. And this is why so many times I think when, whenever people do talk about this passage, it's like they either like, like take it this really far away that God's okay with all sorts of stuff and just do whatever you want. Or it's like, no, this just doesn't sit well with me. But there is somewhere in the mystery of God, there is a place. And I think in, 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 in Romans it says, it says, it says, notice the, the sweetness and the severity of God. <laughs> sweetness to those who repent, and severity to those who do not. Notice the sweetness and the severity. Notice the goodness and the justice of God. These somewhere in the middle of, 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 being, of having a fear of him and, or being afraid of him and having a fear of him. There is, there, there, there is a balance that he calls us to, and it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fine line to walk, but as far as I'm concerned, this is where life is. This is where light is, and when his light comes into our life, he, he shows us sometimes, some of us religious folks, he shows us the rocks in our hands, But to those who are broken in shame, he shows them the sin in their life. He speaks to her and he says, go and sin no more. He invites her. Sin no more? Really? Is that possible? No more? Like not even a little bit? Go and sin no more? How is that even possible? Especially for somebody just caught in adultery. That seems crazy. But this is what light will do for you. This is what the light of life will do for you. It's so piercing that for us who've been in the church a long time, it reveals even deeper levels of, of us. But for those of us who are coming before our almighty God and we're broken and sinful, it shows us the way to follow him. It's a light that shines not just on us, but it sh- shines down in our feet and we can see how to go and sin no more. How to be pleasing to him, how to make different choices, how to make different habits, how to develop a different character, ultimately a different reputation. And this is the goodness of God. So we're going to spend just a few minutes here uh, just praying. I'd love for us just to pray over folks. Uh, the first time we did, we did the old, old school prayer line. I don't know about that, but maybe, maybe, if, uh, babe, would you be able to just come up and maybe a few of us could just stand up here in the front um Emilio, maybe Emilio could come down and pray for folks, um, unless if he's already busy, like cleaning the floor or something. Um, T Bear, yes. Um, maybe Cheryl, maybe Evie. Um, I mean, I don't mean to call everybody out, but but yeah, whoever would like to, <laughs> to whoever would like to come down, stand on the front, and I would, I'm gonna just be up here as well, and I'll just invite you guys to come pray with us. And just, I just love to take you by the hand and pray God's goodness over your life regardless of where you've been, what's going on if it's physical healing that you need if it's um, spiritual, it's emotional it's relational um, we believe the goodness of God is so good that when his light shines into your life it's a really powerful and good thing and, um, and it's always for our good it's never for our shame it's never for our condemnation it's always to lift us up so let's just take a few minutes here and Ricky's going to play and you guys can sit and pray or you can come up and pray with us.